Let's come to God's word in prayer. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that we can meet again uh, to hear your word. Father, please use me in my weakness to preach your word faithfully. Please give us all hearts that will receive your word by faith and live by it. May we come away from your word tonight with a renewed conviction that you are indeed good to us, supremely good in the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, envy is a powerful emotion. It makes us discontent and restless over what we don't have. Uh, You know how it goes. Uh, You see someone else's success, their wealth, their looks, their relationship, and you wish those things were yours. If you're struggling to see envy in your life, I'm sure you'll find it in a little place called Facebook. Now, I suspect that for many of us, our interaction with Facebook exposes much of the envy that we're capable of, because there are just so many good things to envy on Facebook. There's one of them up there. We see the holiday we wish we, we wish we could have gone on. We see the happy relationship we wish we could be in. We read the witty comments or theological insight we wish we could have posted. For many of us, something like Facebook uncovers that powerful and frustrating emotion of envy. But envy isn't just frustrating, it can actually be destructive. If left unchecked, envy can be destructive to our thinking about God's goodness to us. You see, when we are deep in envy, we can start to think, Why is God shortchanging me in life? Why them and not me? And if you're a Christian, you might have even thought, God, why are you so much more generous to the people who don't even follow you? I mean, why does my neighbor who thinks that you're a joke, why does he have the big house and the big car while I'm stuck playing the rental game driving a tiny Yaris? Envy makes us wrestle with this question, I think. God is good. Do I believe it? And that's the question I think this author, the author of this psalm, is wrestling with amidst his envy and frustration over what he sees in this world, of the way things are. God is good. Do I believe it? And what we see in his journey is almost like a night and day change in perspective. He starts by looking at his world through his eyes, uh, and he ends by looking at his world through God's eyes. Through his eyes, life as a follower of God is just plain depressing, envy and frustration. But when he looks through God's eyes, all he can see is unimaginable blessing. So what I want to do is walk with this psalmist through his struggle and resolution. I want us to get a rich sense of the two ways he looks at his life and then think about how we might also wrestle with envy and frustration well as followers of Jesus. So first, life through viewed through my eyes. When the author of this psalm looks at life through his eyes, things just don't make sense. 
God is good. He's still prepared to hold on to that idea in verse 1, you'll see. But it's getting harder to believe. It's like he's thinking, God, I thought you were supposed to be good to those who are pure in heart, who are devoted to you, but that's not what I'm seeing with my eyes. See, I don't see the godly being blessed. I see the wicked, the arrogant being blessed with all the health, wealth, and power. And I'll be honest, God, I'm feeling pretty envious and frustrated right now at what I'm seeing. See, look at verses 1 to 3. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Frustration, envy. Now, I'm sure you've probably felt what he's feeling at some level. God is good, but why are so many drug lords allowed to live the high life for so long? God is good, but that deceptive work colleague who cuts all the corners, he's the one who gets the promotion? God is good, but those kids in school who laugh at me for being a Christian, they're the ones that get the good grades and have all the friends? God is good, do I believe it? Now, have you ever been so frustrated uh, by the way your workplace is being run that you've plonked yourself down in front of your laptop late at night and you've drafted up an angry email uh, to your boss outlining all the problems that you see with the way things are being run? Well, in verses 4 4 to 12, that's kind of what the psalmist does. He writes up a list of all the problems with how he sees the world being run. And then he clicks send to God, his boss. So what does the psalmist list say? Well, problem number one, the wicked live carefree. God, I know you're good, but why do you allow the wicked to go through life without a care in the world? I mean, is it too much to ask? for you to knock a couple of them down at least with a bad cold or something. I mean, why are they often so healthy, wealthy and wise? It's not fair. They don't deserve it. I mean, I've seen them doing violent and immoral things, God. I mean, look at what he says in verses 4 to 7. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds knows no limit. God, God is good. Do I believe it when I see the wicked living carefree. But things only get worse with problem two. The wicked have all the power. God, why are the wicked allowed to have so much power, so much influence? Don't you see how they use their positions to abuse and oppress people? God, they go around acting like little gods. Look at what he says in verses 8 to 10. They scoff. They speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. And their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up their waters in abundance. 
Um, maybe you've heard, this kind, heard of this kind of abuse and um, this kind of abuse of power. I've heard a number of international students uh, who have been taken advantage of in their part-time job. Uh, they haven't been told what their rights are. They've been underpaid, treated harshly. And so often, the boss just gets away with it. God is good. Do I believe it when I see the wicked in all the positions of power? But things just ratchet up even more for the psalmist in problem three. The wicked mock God without consequence. God, I know you're powerful. You know all. You see all. Why are you just sitting there taking this? I mean, seriously, God, the wicked mock you like some kind of senile old man, as though you were so blind and unaware of reality that they can just get away with anything. I mean, look at what they're saying in verse 11. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High know anything? I remember walking in the city a number of years ago and seeing a poster advertising the comedy show of a famous Melbourne comedian, and this was the title, God is BS, expletive. That's the good news. God is BS. That's the good news. And the whole show was dedicated to mocking the God of the Bible. Now, when you hear that, how does it make you feel? Because I suspect a lot of us are actually quite desensitised to that kind of mockery. We kind of just brush it off and think, oh, well, that's just the world for you. But just imagine it wasn't God's name on that poster for a minute, but it was your dear mother or your dear father's name on that poster. Well, then you'd be outraged, wouldn't you? But see, this is the God of the universe that is being mocked here on that poster. And when the psalmist sees this kind of thing happening in his day, he is rightly outraged. How do people just do and say whatever the heck they like and get away with it, let alone make a living off it? God is good. Do I believe it when he seems to be letting mockers off the hook? And so the psalmist finishes off his list of complaints here against God with a single summary line in verse 12. See it there. This is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They go on amassing wealth. Send. Well, having unloaded on God with all his problems, it's like our psalmist kind of just slumps back in his chair frustrated, envious with what he sees through his eyes. And he's thinking, what's the point? What's the point battling through life, doing things God's way, when the way of the godless seems so easy and comfortable? And, you know, maybe you felt that at some level as well. What's the point of trusting and following Jesus? when it just seems so much harder. So much harder to be honest than to lie. I mean, I see other people getting away with cheating the self-checkout at Coles. Why can't I skim off that? 
So much harder to be uh, gracious than spiteful. So much harder to be sexually pure than to just give in to our desires. God is good. Do I believe it enough to stick with him? And you see, that's what the psalmist is really wrestling with here in verses 13 to 16. Look at them in your Bible. He says, Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. He's honest, isn't he? Life viewed through my eyes is just depressing. Prior to entering into Bible college, I worked as an orthoptist. Um, It's a bit like an optometrist, but we work with eye doctors in their clinics. Now, I did many things in that job, uh, but one of the most enjoyable parts of that job uh, was working with severe cataract patients. I loved watching these patients react uh, to the change in vision following their cataract surgery. Uh, The change was like night and day for some of these patients. You see, before the surgery, I would ask them to read the eye chart. And sometimes their vision was so bad, they would literally say to me, I'm sorry, where's the eye chart? I I can't see the chart at all. But after the operation, I'd take off the patch and they would say, whoa, I never knew things could be so clear. I never knew colours could be so bright. Your blue shirt, that red pen there, this was like a night and day experience. And you see, that's the kind of change that happens to our psalmist. It's almost as though he receives a spiritual cataract operation. Life through his eyes was bleak. He found it hard to see how God could really be good in any of this. But then he starts seeing things through God's eyes. And now he's got 2020 vision. And that's what we're going to look at now, life through God's eyes. Now, the moment that changes everything for this psalmist is when he enters the sanctuary of God. So there he is, envious, longing for answers. The psalmist decides to go to God. The sanctuary of God was a place in the Old Testament where God's people met with God to hear his word and respond in praise and prayer. And we're actually not told how the psalmist gets all his answers to his problem. All we know is that things become clear for him when he goes to God. See, look at verses 16 and 17. When I tried to understand all this, that is, when I was looking through life through my eyes, it troubled me deeply. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then... I understood their final destiny. Then I started to see through God's eyes. Now, sometimes we like to go everywhere but God when we struggle with him and his goodness. But as we've been noticing in the other Psalms that we've looked at as well, 
Notice where the psalmist doesn't go in his struggle. See, he doesn't go to the movies to get some distraction from his problem. He doesn't go to the library to read a self-help book on positive thinking. He doesn't go and join the others who had already given up on God and, and to take a slice of the carefree life. No, this psalmist goes to deal with God directly. See, like many of us, I think he senses that there must be more to the picture than what he's seeing. He just needs God's help to understand it. And it's there before God that he starts to see things differently. It's there before God that he starts to say, God is good, and man, do I believe it. So what does he see with God's 2020 vision? Well, first he comes to see that those who reject God really have nothing, even if they've got something. That is, that they don't actually have anything that will ultimately last. Or worse still, those who reject God, he says, will themselves be rejected by God. You see, now he's starting to think, man, I once envied these guys. I wanted what the wicked had. But actually, all they really have is God's judgment looming over them. In an instant, they will be taken from this life and stand completely guilty before the God they have refused to listen to and have happily mocked. And I don't want to be in that position. Look at verses 18 to 20. Surely you have placed them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They are like... A dream when one awakes, when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. God, you are good because you will bring justice on evil and corruption. In in fact, this revelation hits him with, with such power that he actually starts to compare his former way of thinking as though he was some kind of dumb ox continually walking into trees. See, notice that in verse 21 and 22. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. See, through his eyes, he was thinking, where is God in all of this? Does he care about me? The wicked have it all. I have nothing. But through God's eyes, he now sees clearly, actually, they have nothing, but I have everything. Why? Because I have God. And he is actually here with me in all of this, closer than I could have imagined. In fact, I can say, God is holding me by my right hand, verse 23. He is guiding me through life. Now, which of them can say that? I can say that when I die, God won't let me out of his sight for a minute, but will take me into eternal glory to be with him in unending paradise, verse 24. Which of them can say that? You see, it's so easy to get caught up in the short time we have here on earth. But when you take a step back 
like the psalmist does, and consider eternity, it's actually kind of hard to look at life in the same way. Jonathan Edwards, the 18th century theologian and preacher, had a wonderful prayer that I love and that I've probably spoken about a number of times. His prayer was this, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. See, Edwards wanted to go through life looking through the lens of eternity. And that's what he wanted for the people he preached to as well. He wanted them to look beyond the temporal concerns of this life, where we work, where we're going to have our holidays, what our investments are. He wanted to look beyond those things into the expanse of eternity and to see, to contemplate how awful it would be to spend that eternity separated from God and his blessings but to rejoice at how wonderful it is to know that God holds you and will care for you throughout that endless expanse of time. You see, when the psalmist goes to God in verse 17, the Lord stamps eternity on his eyeballs and now all he can see is God All he longs for is God. Now he's thinking, they just have stuff. I have relationship with the living God. Their pleasure lasts only a bleep in eternity. My joy in God lasts forever. Through his eyes, he was envious, frustrated, reluctant to speak his mind to anybody. Verse 15 But through God's eyes, notice he can't keep his mouth shut now. He can't stop talking about the fact that God is good. Look at verses 26 to 28. Whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Or those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all the unfaithful. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. See, looking through his eyes, all he could see was the riches of those who reject God and the poverty of those who follow him. Looking through God's eyes, All he can now see is the unimaginable riches of those who follow God and the terrible poverty of those who don't. God is good, and now he really believes it. Now, maybe you're listening here tonight, and you're not yet sure where you stand with God, but you actually long for the eternal hope that this psalmist speaks of. Well, the good news is that that hope can be yours as well through faith in God's Son, Jesus. As we'll see in just a moment, Jesus is the one who brings you into relationship and eternal life with God through his death and resurrection. The hope of this psalmist and the goodness of God is actually found in Jesus. 
But for those of us who do know God, this psalm helps us remember God's goodness to us when we walk a similar path of frustration and envy. You see, it begs the question at the end of this psalm, how will you view your life? Will it be with through your eyes or through God's eyes? See, let's think about, first of all, uh, as we head to a close, life viewed just through our eyes. What will that be like? Well, life through your eyes, where your concept of God's goodness to you is understood primarily on the basis of what you get out of this life while you're here. Well, the psalmist is telling you that life lived only through your eyes is likely to be one of recurring frustration, envy, and dissatisfaction. Or you might come to church each week and you might say along with everyone else that God is good. But I think you may struggle to believe that if all you can see is how much you think God is being stingy with you, shortchanging you out of the pleasures that others get to enjoy. You know, why do other people get noticed by the boss, but he always overlooks my hard work and diligence, God? Why is my marriage such hard work while other couples have it so good, God? Why am I always hit with health problems while my chain-smoking neighbour is as fit as an ox, God? God is good. But if we look through our eyes only we may well struggle to believe that. Now, I reckon there has to be a few of you here this evening feeling shortchanged by God. How do I know? Well, because I know my own heart and how prone I am to looking at my life through my worldly eyes. I was reminded this actually of this last year, Uh, when our family went on a 10-day holiday to Queensland with my side of the family, uh, I was massively looking forward to this this break. Um, I had all these plans about what I wanted to do, how I wanted to relax, maybe how my parents could take our kids for a while so Ruth and I could have little dates. But not long after we arrived, one of our children got gastro. Hmm. And we were basically apartment-bound for most of the time there. As I walked around that apartment with gloves on and disinfectants in my hands, I could hear my siblings and their kids laughing it up in the pool right outside my door. And to be honest, I was envious of that. And in reflection on the way back home, I actually had to confess that I had put so much hope in this holiday only to feel shortchanged and frustrated. And I think it's easy in in those sort of moments to think, come on, God, you couldn't just give me 10 days with my family here? You know, the, the rest of my family had it, God. Why are you selling me short? You know, there are many more serious 
things that we wrestle with in life than that example. And I know some of you might think, well, that's pretty petty, Chris. But that's the point, isn't it? It's easy to be petty when we're just looking through our eyes. That's why it is so important that we continually go back to God, like the psalmist, to get a reality check on life. Now, I think we actually do that through investing in contexts in which we hear God speak to us. Contexts like church, whether it be online at the moment or coming on Sundays. We hear God speak to us in something like growth group or speaking with, an uh, speaking with a Christian friend. They're all good places to hear God speak his word into our lives amidst our envy. You see, in our struggle with envy, we need to hear those words of Jesus to us, not to store up treasure on earth where moth and vermin and gastro destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth, vermin, gastro do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. We need to see our lasting treasure. Life through our eyes is frustrating. So how can we live life through God's eyes? Well, for those of you who are struggling with envy and frustration tonight, and for those of you who are perhaps even questioning God's goodness, you need, what you need to hear is that struggle is a normal experience for Christians. The psalm shows us that. But what this psalm also shows us is that when we struggle with envy, we must not walk away from the central idea and truth that God is good. See, yes, the psalmist wrestled with that. Yes, he tested it, but from verse 1, he actually never walks away from it. And you see, if you're a Christian listening tonight, you have even more reason than he does to hold that before your eyes, God's goodness, because you have come to know of his goodness in the cross of Christ. See, believe it or not, uh, we are actually more like the wicked described in this passage than we might care to think. See, we too are people whose hearts can be proud, arrogant, and rebellious towards God. But in God's supreme goodness, the New Testament shows us that he sends his own saviour, his own son, to save sinners from the judgment we deserve, to give us the gift of forgiveness and eternal life that we don't deserve. It's through seeing the wonder of the cross and all the blessings that flow from that that we will start to see the world through God's eyes. Or when we see the injustice around us and people profiting from evil and corruption, yes, that will be a struggle. But we will see that God is still good and that he's bringing every form of wickedness, corruption, evil to account, either at the final judgment when Christ returns or at the foot of the cross as sinners come to him in faith and repentance. 
Through God's eyes, we can still acknowledge that, that joblessness and loneliness and poor health, they're all difficult, but that God has given me something greater, something far greater than a, a job, a, a spouse, or a few more years of good health. He's given me Christ and life in Christ. Through his spirit, Christ now holds me by my right hand. Christ guides me through these struggles in life. And Christ will raise me to eternal life with God forever. When we look through God's eyes, we can say with the Apostle Paul, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And you see, God's eyes transforms everything, big and small. See, I was thinking about it. Even something as simple as our school drop-off routine and pick-up can be drastically affected depending on which, which set of eyes we're choosing to look through. See, if I go to school looking through my eyes only, it's actually easy to slip into envy and frustration as I look out on all the other parents picking their kids up. See, it's easy to think in those moments with my eyes, man, I wish I could own my own home like that parent does instead of living the rental life. Man, I wish I could dress as nicely as that dad. I wish I had that big SUV that he's driving. Why do I have to go about trying to squeeze these three kids into this tiny little Yaris like sardines? But you see, God's eyes actually changes things. It actually helps me appreciate, in a moment like that, the depths of my riches in Christ and the absolute poverty of those parents who don't know him. See, going to school with God's eyes transforms resentment and envy into love and compassion And when I'm there, I can say with God's eyes on, God is good. Do they believe it? Well, this psalm has reminded us in the face of envy and frustration, we must look at life through God's eyes, not simply our eyes. It's then that we'll be able to say, God is good and I believe it. Uh, In a moment, I'm going to pray And then we're going to sing a song uh, called Be Thou My Vision. Uh, For some of you, it will be very familiar. But don't let the message of this song wash over you because of its familiarity, which I know can happen, happens to me. See, this song is a prayer. It's asking God to give us the vision of this psalmist to have God's eyes, not our eyes. See, listen to the words of verse 3 for a minute, be thou my vision. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise, thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart, 
high king of heaven, my treasure thou art. These are the words of someone who looks at his life through God's eyes. So let's pray, then let's sing that we might have that vision too. Please join with me in prayer. A heavenly Father, surely you are good. Thank you for the way we see this demonstrated most clearly in your willingness to send your Son to die for our sins. Father, help us amidst our envy and our frustration to live life through your eyes. Help us to see the glory of being in eternal relationship with you, and may we be transformed by it. In Jesus' name, amen.